Welcome to Coaching the Coach. I'm your host, Pete Townley, for the Upstate Performance Project. What's up, guys and gals? Although I shouldn't say gals. I got in trouble once for saying that. I said guys and gals in a speech, and I got in trouble for saying gals. I don't know. Anyways, everyone out there listening, how's that? Um, I am driving, once again, another mobile episode. It's been a little while since the last one. Been a couple months, but I am back on the road, as always, going to hang with the kiddos for a few days. Um, My littlest one is turning 10 years old this week. It's incredible. Um... 10 years. Wow. So, we're going to go have some fun for his birthday, hang out, jump on the trampoline, have some fun. Anyhow, um, I definitely have some fun stuff to talk about. I'm going to split it up into two different podcasts because really two different things I want to talk about, but a lot of ideas going through my head right now um, in terms of helping you guys become better coaches. Now, one thing I'm going to try to do from here on out, I won't guarantee this, but I'm going to try. I want to be as positive as I can. I've done a few ranting podcasts before where I really kind of, you know, something was really irking me and I and I put it out there. Try not to badmouth people too bad, too much. Um, that's not my style, but there's times when things just really get to you, you know. And so we're kind of at one of those times right now. But I'm going to be positive about it. And I and I sat here. I've been wanting to do this podcast all week, but I've been trying to think of how to do it so that everybody benefits. And, and I mean, the people I'm going to be kind of targeting or talking about. Hopefully, I know they'll probably never hear this podcast. But if they were to hear this podcast, they would learn something from this podcast to help what they're trying to promote and make what they're trying to promote better. I'm going to benefit because there are some things that these people, which I'll, I'll tell you who these people are in just a minute. They're promoting some things that aren't all bad. And then you, the listener, who are maybe a coach, a, a personal trainer, or um, someone interested in health and fitness um, will benefit because it'll maybe paint the whole picture and everyone's going to walk away with this um, or from this a winner. So we're going to get, everyone's going to get something out of it. So I'm, I'm actually very excited um, to do this today. So what am I talking about? Well, I am talking of course about the woke coaches out there. Now I'm not um, taking credit for that um, term. Um, They're as, as you know, um, I mentioned it a couple weeks ago in a, or the last po- podcast or maybe two podcasts ago, talking a little bit about that this and that you need to be careful and you know with some of these coaches and what they're saying, they're just renaming things and you know taking things that have been done for a while and repackaging it to try to sell it to you as something new to increase their profile, whatever. Anyhow. We've talked about some of these things before, um, but what I want to talk about today 
is the mark that a lot of these coaches are missing and where a lot of coaches like me could maybe step back a little bit and, and reflect on everything. As, as you know, I'm a big proponent of self-reflection, playing devil's advocate, looking at, at things from all sides. You know, it's just like in politics, I'm not going to always vote down party lines. You know, I try to look at um, both sides of the coin whenever there's a, a controversial issue. I'll educate myself, and I think that's really the main point. It's the main point about what I want to talk about today, but it's the main point about just life in general. You have to educate yourself, whether it be listening to a podcast like this and hearing something, and then going out and exploring it a little bit more on your own. Or, uh, you know, hearing something that didn't sound right, or no, that's not what I thought. I thought it was this or that. Well, go find out on your own, right? That's that's the the idea I'm trying to get convey is I want you all to do a little of your own research. Again, I've said this before. So, with some of the coaches out there, when we say woke coaches, what we're really talking about are coaches out there that are that fall into a couple categories. One category is highly educated, know what they're doing, um, or know how to do it properly, but yet choose to promote one style of things just to make themselves look unique and or different. And it's like, oh wow, I never thought of it that way. This guy is so intelligent. This girl is so smart. I've never thought of it this way. But again, they are really just you know, repackaging something that we've already all done. Or they're making things way harder than they need to be. Spouting off a bunch of you know, potential articles that they've, you know, gotten to somewhat support their idea and using a lot of big words. Then that you have other coaches that are, you know, trying to just invent new things loosely based on what they feel is, is important to uh, athletic performance or muscle growth or whatever it is that they're trying to train for. And none of these are bad things necessarily. Like I said, it's just the disingenuous way that it comes at you. Because they either know better and they choose to to ignore things or buck the system just to create a little buzz for themselves, or they they really don't know the whole picture or they're missing a big part of the picture. Now, before before I get into some specifics, I want to go on the flip side here. And and I'm on the flip side. I'm a I'm an old grinder, right? I've been I've been in this game 22 years and we have to change, we have to evolve. Right? We can't just learn something 20 years ago and say, "Well, that's it. I know everything I need to know to be a coach. I'm going to go out and do everything." Now, there are a lot of fundamental things that I learned 20 some odd years ago in school that are still relevant today and still hold true, but there's a lot of new things I've learned. There's a lot of different ways to get there. And I think the main point that I want to make today is that there are a lot of ways to get to where you want to go. If you watched our our latest um, YouTube episode, talked about weightlifting for a strength or programming uh, for a weightlifting strength block, and I even mentioned at the top, there's a bazillion different ways that you can go about this, right? I just highlighted one way that I like to do it. It's not the only way I do it, 
It's not how every strength strength block looks for me or my clients. But it's just one way, and I just kind of want to explain that one way. So to give you guys some ideas, some some things to think about. Because when I see these videos out here, I try my hardest to see the value in what they're saying. Rather than just say, oh my gosh, look at this crazy guy jumping around like an idiot. I'll say, I might think that, but then I'll try to look at him and say, okay, wait a minute, wait a minute. What's he doing? What's he really trying to accomplish here? And nine times out of ten, you know, there, there might be a specific purpose for this one exercise. As opposed to just being some random hard exercise. So... You know, I try my hardest to, to find the value in what they're saying. And, and I have my education and I have my, you know, years of experience to use as my filter to call bullshit on something or to say, okay, I can kind of see where this would be relevant. Or they might be posting uh, a whole bunch of crazy exercises. Um, and I might look at four or five of them and think three of them are just completely asinine. And then one's like, oh, wait a minute, okay. I could totally see how I could use this with this particular client or in this particular situation. Um, And I think that's where any kind of education, whether it be watching other people on Instagram or YouTube or whatever, can be very helpful. Because you can glean things off of them uh, and then use them. But you can only do that if you understand the bigger picture. And so what I'm going to talk about is this. Um, You've heard the expression, a pyramid is only tall as its base is wide, right? So if I'm going to build the biggest, strongest um, pyramid, I've got to have a really big, wide, strong foundation. Fundamentals, right? And a lot of that's knowledge. It's not just, you know, um, knowing how to lift weights and, and grow the muscle, but, you know, knowing different styles, knowing different applications of certain styles and all of those things. That's what you guys need to go find out. And I think that's where a lot of these coaches are missing the mark. Now, they may be missing it intentionally, but I think there's also some that just don't get it. So for example, I'm going to use a couple examples and I'm not picking on these guys because I think there's some merit to all of these people and I don't remember all their names or their screen names. So don't you can go try to look them up, but I'm not going to uh, worry about getting it exactly right. But there's there's one, the one you've heard me talk about before, Dr. Joel Seedman. I, I don't, I think he's one of the ones that knows better, but is trying to do something revolutionary. And I, and I don't think he's doing anything wrong inherently. In other words, some of the things that he's doing, I think could definitely have some benefit. But his applications are for people that are already highly trained. And I think the risk-reward ratio is is very high. Now, everything he shows probably could be scaled. And I think that's where he's missing the mark. In other words, if he's wanting to, you know, tout that his ways are better, because uh, he does go a little bit more in-depth into not, or, or, or saying, these are better than other exercises, versus some of these people online are just saying, these are the best. They're not saying, or look at these exercises for athletics, but they're just not touching on the other stuff. And maybe they, that's just not where they live. But like with this guy, you know, 
I, I look through his Instagram and his exercises, and there's a few few ones there that I'm like, you know what, I, I like that. I, I see how that could be. Or more importantly, I see, okay, I have a client that could benefit from this kind of exercise. Right? Because it's always about knowing when. You know, we look at those nine principles of personal training. Individuality, specificity, two, or two that come to mind for this particular um, one. And so I might have a baseball player that needs to do work on um, getting stronger, just general strength. Okay, there's an easy way to do that. But they might also need some body awareness, body balance, things like that. So you can mold the two. But you can also have someone who's very strong, does not want to get bigger necessarily, and, and increased strength isn't necessarily going to take them to the next level, but increased body awareness, control, coordination, those things, maybe. So in that scenario, some of the things that Seedman is doing with some of his professional athletes, I, I think could, could be very beneficial because those people are already there because they're training for a very specific skill set, right? And that's the key. They're training for a very specific skill set, sports performance. Now, you look at a same type of athlete, a baseball player, when they are in high school. Um, and they've never trained before. Doing some of those exercises could be done foundationally, but so could building just basic strength, doing some basic things to build general strength. Then you worry about transferable skills. So you've heard me talk about skill breakdown before. And there's all kinds of skills, uh, open skills, closed skills. There's all sorts of different types that we learn and we build upon them. There's different levels of progression when we talk about motor learning and motor development, right? And early on when we're talking about motor development, we're learning new ways to move, right? We're learning these different patterns and these patterns are general, but they're gonna have transferability. So in other words, I, if I'm training a golfer to swing harder, I really don't want necessarily to load or get a heavy club and swing a club, like a weighted club. You see that a lot, or you'll see people taking a, uh, a, a, a stick on a cable machine, you know, like the, the, the pole attachment, and then they're doing like a simulated swing. Well, what that's doing when you do that, that's putting your lever, your, the mechanics, um, that mechanical advantage is making it way harder Yes, building some strength and building some muscle, but it's not going to be transferable to golf because that's not using the muscles. If I'm if I'm holding that pole against the resistance of this cable, yeah, my shoulders, I'm, I might get some core development in there, but my shoulders are going to be fried, and I'm going to be teaching my shoulders to really forcefully push through this motion so that when I go to swing a club, I'm going to be chopping at the ball. I'm going to be hacking at it, right? And so... That's not necessarily transferable. However, something like a Russian twist or a standing ab rotation with the barbell on your back, things like that, you know, we do need trunk rotation. You know, something like doing something where we turn like a, a landmine twist where I, I will twist my hips and my knee uh, inward and out as I fully rotate around. That is something that doesn't necessarily resemble exactly a golf swing, but has some transferability, right? So going back to what these coaches are putting out there, there's a lot of these moves that they're touting are 
for sports performance. If you want to increase an athlete's performance, you have to do these movements. Uh, and their their rationale is because doing back squats or doing deadlifts, you know, you never do that in a sport. What sport do you, you know, continually jump off of both feet where a squat would be helpful? Or are you picking something up? Obviously, there's weightlifting where that's very specific to that sport. You got to be able to do those things. But for general sports, most sports, you don't do that. However, um, what they're missing is that general strength work, like squats, like lunges, like uh, deadlifts and power cleans and overhead presses and even a bench press, uh, barbell row, those kind of movements um, are the foundation, right? That pyramid we were talking about. We've got to build the foundation. We've got to build strength. If you're stronger, you are a more capable person. You've heard me talk a lot about training people for speed. I've done a whole podcast on speed training. And the speed training simply is, or my philosophy is, I want to get those athletes stronger. Now, it's going to be different on who I'm training. Again, I go back to a high school kid. Getting them stronger and working on some of those footwork drills is what we need to do. If I just work on foot, footwork drills um, or some just unilateral work, that might have a high payoff, which is great. But I have time in my plan, in my whole year, in my off-season, to do some general strength training. And I can load my system a lot better with a bar, or a lot more with, say, a back squat or a deadlift. Now, they have to be done right. You have to teach them properly. And if their body mechanics allow for it, then that would be the right move to do. And again, that's that's the thing that I, I think has the biggest that irks me the most about these, these quote, woke coaches. Because what they're doing is they're making absolute statements. They're talking about, you you know, you should never do back squats because it's, you know, you shouldn't put that kind of spinal compression on you. Well, okay, people can disagree, all right? And they can tell you that they can, you can load a, a Bulgarian split squat. And look, I love Bulgarian split squats. We do them all the time. Front foot elevated, Bulgarian, you know, walking lunges, reverse lunges, all kinds of unilateral strength work, side lunges, Cossack squats, all these things. These are staples in, in what we do at Upstate Performance Project, but we also do the back squat, the deadlift, and some of the major ones in our off-season strength work where we're going for general strength and or trying to get some hypertrophy work done because that pr can provide me the most stimulus. I can get the most bang for my buck. Otherwise, I'm having to do a lot of other accessory work. I'm having to do lots of different exercises, and that can, you know, impede on time. Now, again, if I have a high training frequency, I can spread that out, and I can do a lot more of these exercises. But again, it goes back to everything is different. Every every scenario is different, and so you can't make these absolute statements like that. You also um, what what we have to look at. We, as in some of the old grinder coaches like myself. We have to be able to look at some of these coaches that are trying to push the envelope and trying to say, look, we need to work on the oblique slings and we need to train, you know, this um, uh, stop-start, stop, you know, movements and these quick, uh, uh, real fast movements, you know, we see them jumping and switching their legs in the air. I mean, anyone who did my Power Plus program and, you know, from 2006 to 2012, 
you know, that I did a ton of that stuff along with the squats and the lunges and, and, and the deadlifts and, and power cleans. Those were all staple movements. Uh, we did a leg press too. So these were all movements that, you know, like jumping in the air, landing on one foot in a really tight, fixed position. There's a guy, Real Game, I think it's Real Game Athletics or something like that. What I like about him and what I don't like about him, what I, what I don't like about him is that I think a lot of his movements are kind of, I think there's a lot of fluff. I think for every few posts that he has that are like, okay, this is legit. This could have some real payoff. There's a few that he's just, he's, he's really reaching on. Now, I think, I don't fault him for that though. So that's really not a knock because I think he's trying. And I think the, the reason he um, has a, a good following is because he is marketing it correctly. He never says, and in fact, I, he might somewhere, but I've never been able to find anywhere where he claims that this is the only thing athletes should be doing. I've never heard him say, never do a back squat or never do this. He might have said that. I don't know. I don't know. I do know that what he says, you know, something like training 110%, he's the, he's the extra 10%. So in other words, if you're going to work really hard and do everything you need to do to, do, to be an elite athlete, you got to top it off with some of these kind of movements that he's promoting. And I like that. Now, I think some of the movements, like I said, are a little funky, a little silly. I don't, I don't think all of them have great practical application, but that's my opinion, right? So that's not, that's not to say it's not true. Um, but again, I, I think he at least says it in a way, promotes it in a way that you could easily say, okay, he's not trying to say, just do these things and, you, and this is all you need to do to be an athlete. Versus another guy I found this week that did talk, and he, I mean, every other post is, don't do back squats, don't do this, don't do that, do these instead. And But he doesn't give a reason for it other than his anecdotal evidence. And, you know, he, his background, his knowledge, he, you know, he's read, he's got a degree, he knows these things, he's learned these things. And that's fine. Again, there's nothing wrong with, if this is the style he's chosen to train his athletes with, if he's getting results, great. But I think he's missing out on some things. Just like if I were to completely ignore everything he was doing and not look at some new opportunities or new exercises that maybe I'm not doing that I could incorporate with some of my clients, I would be the one at fault there, right? So again, all I'm trying to say is everyone needs to take a step back, look at what, we're, look at what we need. And, and it comes down to a few things. First of all, you have to look at progression and overload. If you're just doing bodyweight jumps and you know a lot of like ladder drills and things like that, you can get a little bit faster. You can increase your, your coordination and your timing and that all helps, but force production may not be maximized. And so some of those jumpy split squat, not split squats, um, jump in the air and split, you know, kick your legs back and forth and land in a tight fixed position at all 90 degree angles. Cause I guess that's the, the new thing too is 90 degrees. So all of those, you know, you doing all those things. Okay. That's great. But that would mirror like what we were talking about, um, or like we've talked about how we program with, um, 
the preseason type stuff. So that's when I'm going to really start to bring those kind of exercises into the fold. In my off-season, I'm going to work on getting stronger. I'm going to work on getting more explosive and possibly getting bigger if that's the goal. More muscular endurance. Whatever the goal, the main goal for my sport or for my... If I'm not training an athlete, if I'm just training a general trainee, what I need them to do or what they want to do. That's where I'm going to get the bulk of the work. And then if they do want to do a competition or if they do some kind of activity, adding those things in... Are, are not a bad idea, but that would be like what I would do in a preseason drill. So for example, rather than have my football guys do you know your traditional squats and uh, uh, power cleans and lunges and things like that, you do that all off season. And then when you get into your preseason, which would be kind of your summer training, um, there's gonna be some of that to maintain the strength you got, but now you're gonna be doing more sport specific things. But instead of just doing like ladders and and cone drills, which you need to do some of those, some of these exercises like this real game athletics is promoting, would that would be where I would stick these in. Now, I would love to see him do a post and talk about that. Maybe he has. I have not read all of his posts. So if you guys have looked at his stuff, you know, let me know uh, if, he, if he is doing that because that would be great because I, I think he's getting pretty close to where this kind of coach, this kind of new thinking of movement patterns could really be um, beneficial versus someone like these other two that I've talked about today where they are saying you should never do these things. What we're doing is the only way and I'm saying if you did that it would be you can progress and you can overload those movements but that's not going to necessarily give you all or maximize all of the quote gains you could get and for example with um with back squatting with uh deadlifting some of the movements that those are the two big ones that people generally don't want to do bench press is usually in there too just because it you know they're like when when is anyone doing that in a sport well okay maybe not that exact movement but again we're talking about general strength development and then working on transferable skills so the thought is if all I did was that skill work, that highly, that, that work that really you know focuses on that neural development, that coordination, um, we need to keep that up, we need to work on it, but if we don't ever overload, we're not gonna get stronger. And we can definitely make the case that getting stronger to a point, and depending on the sport, will make you more capable, will allow you to do more. For example, if I have 100 and 70 pound uh, free safety who can run a 4.3 and has a you know say 35 inch vertical that's pretty good but if I have a 200 pound safety that can run a 4.3 and has a 35 inch vertical odds are you know and let's say they're both 10% body fat odds are that bigger guy is going to be a little stronger so when he hits me he's going to get a little bit more pop. So from an athletic skills um, view, like a combine style, they might both fare very, very, very well. But when it comes to hitting someone and tackling someone and being effective at that, that bigger, stronger person would be better. Now, that's not true for every sport, right? Look at 
look at CrossFit. Okay, your your top CrossFitters generally the the ones that are tr- continually landing in the top um, of the competitions all are within you know similar builds. You know, you're looking at guys that are like five nine, five ten to maybe six foot one, and around the one. 90 to uh, you know 205 range. Now, yes, there are some that are bigger. There are some that are smaller. Absolutely, but we're talking about the ones that fare well in pretty much all types of events, which is what CrossFit is meant to do. It's you're supposed to be good at a lot of different things. You're not supposed to be a specialist, right? So, a six foot five, 250 pound CrossFitter is going to have a harder time doing some of the skill work versus a smaller one is going to have a harder time doing some of the strength work. That's why the top ones are kind of right in the middle. That makes sense. So it's not always about being bigger and stronger. It's finding the right mix for what your needs are. And that, I think, is what gets lost. And, and when we look at some of these things online, we see, oh, this is a cool movement. This is awesome. What? <clears throat> what a lot of those moves do that you see online, you don't see a progression. Now, maybe there is a progression. And maybe you can say, oh, well, they're using a, a five-pound dumbbell here. Maybe I'll go to an eight and then a 10 and 12. And yes, you could probably do that. But a lot of those come at a high risk-reward ratio, which we've talked about before. So just because something is cool and just because something does you know, maybe make you more balanced and coordinated doesn't mean everyone's ready for it. So you still have to know what you're doing. Again, we're building that base. So going back to the pyramid example of building that base, I'll do diagnostic tests. So for example, I might test someone's vertical leap. Then I take a depth jump and I have them do a depth jump and then go up to, uh, and measure on the vertex. If, if that athlete gets the same height or higher, well, well, we'll say this way. If they get higher, then I know that, you know, uh, their timing is, is really good. They probably have really good reaction times because they're using that stretch shortening cycle, the stretch reflex, very, very well. Conversely, if they get the same, um, we can do a little bit of everything. If it, You know, they probably need to get a little stronger and, and need a little bit more you know, uh, agility, coordination, balance, that kind of work. If they don't jump as high. Now, the reaction time definitely may be there, but also just, you know, um, or pardon me, yeah, sorry, that's, I'm getting ahead of myself, sorry, there's traffic. Uh, If they don't get as high, I need to work more on that agility, more on that body balance, more on that. So I might say, take some of those things that you've seen on, uh, these functional movement pattern type uh, Instagrams. My athlete could benefit from some of that. They could also still benefit from you know other traditional strength training, but that is their limiting factor. That reaction time, that agility, that coordination, that um, ability to react is not there as evidenced by a lower jump. So again, if they, if they can jump higher off the box jump or off the depth jump, then really what I need to focus on mostly is just getting them stronger because they already have really good reaction time. It's not to say I won't work on that, but that's not what's holding them back. Now I just need to get them stronger. And so these kind of skills assessments are 
going to be huge in what exercise selection you pick. And so, if the if these athletes, if these coaches, we'll say this, and here's where I think they could listen and take some advice. If you want to try to invent some new movement patterns for the benefit of really improving athletic performance, there are some examples out there, like that real game. I think it's real game athletics. There's some good stuff on there. There's some wacky stuff. But at least he is saying, I'm trying to get that top end 10%, that little bit of extra work that you could focus on to take you over the top. Versus saying, if you do this, this is what gets you to the top. Not any of that other stuff. Don't do back squats, they hurt you. Don't do this, they hurt you. He's saying, this is gonna take if you're already working hard, already doing everything else you need to do, this is that extra 10%. Or, so they need to market it like that, or they need to market it like, like if Joel Seedman would say on his, some of his stuff, some of the stuff that looks really crazy and really wacky, and there is some of it on his stuff that is just so over the top, like not, not to say that it doesn't work or doesn't have some benefit, but again, at what cost? There's way safer and way easier ways to do some of the same things he's trying to do. And, and without even getting into his squat depth philosophy and things like that, I'm not going to even go there right now. Um, what I'm saying is if he gave a better example of when to use some of these things, as opposed to saying these are the end-all be-all, because he does, I'm sure, know how to properly progress someone. He had a post the other day with a kid just doing a basic squat, first day in there. And that, again, just holding that isometrically, which was great. Nothing wrong with that at all. But it didn't necessarily allude to the fact that he was trying to, this is basic. I mean, he said this is day one. I think we're all to assume that, yeah, he progresses in there. He didn't throw him on some of the crazier, harder stuff. Uh, that may be a, an assumption that is, is to be made, but I think that's where these types of coaches who are selling this type of exercise could really improve their marketability and their, and their uh, not just their adherence, but improve um, acceptance of, of what they're doing if they were honest about saying, this is these are some accessory things that can be done in conjunction with some of the fundamental strength and conditioning things. Now, there are some coaches, and like the new one I found this weekend, it's it's MT something. I, I don't I don't even remember the rest of it. Um, he went on a whole tirade. Now, don't ever do these movements. And one was push up, one was a sit up, one was a squat. You know because it's just it's too hard on the body. Like it, it's it's not good for the body to do these things. And you can find a study where there's you know more sheer force when you do this versus this and you know he's saying you're taking the risk reward ratio on a squat is much higher so doing some of the things he's talking about but again there are always going to be some limitations to some of these things they're doing like progression like overload so some of the explosive jumping things there is a progression uh, on how to do jumps uh, if someone's coming in and has never done plyometrics, I'm not going to have them do a depth jump. That's a, a relatively advanced, it doesn't look advanced, but it's a relatively advanced um, movement for the system and for the body to handle correctly. 
So I'm going to have them start with both feet and do something like a line hop, side to side, front to back. That's a fairly basic one. It still, still works for elites, but it's a fairly basic one that is safe to start with. Then I might go to a broad jump. Then I might do some single leg side to side work. Then I might go to a box jump. Then I might go to a depth jump. Then I might go to a depth jump into a long jump and so on and so forth. So there is a progression with these kind of plyometrics or these kind of movements, um, but there is a, a limit, right? There is a limit and there you can't progress all of these crazy band around your waist things like training the oblique slings. I mean, yeah, I guess you could get a thicker band, but that's going to be harder to get around you. My point is, you can't say these are the only things that work and all these other things are bad. And when you say those things and you say, if you disagree with me, it's just because you're old and you're not willing to accept new viewpoints. My rebuttal is, no, I may be old and I may you know, be stuck in my ways a little bit, but I've also seen trends come and go. And I've seen one thing continually coming back over and over and over and over again, which is doing that base work, the the squats, the deadlifts, presses. Building your base strength is never a bad thing. Squats are good for you. Deadlifts are good for you. But again, it, it still goes back to the individual. I have a client that I've been trying to work with. I don't have him squat anymore. He's just not built for it. And it's going to do more harm than good. He's got extremely long femurs in, in comparison to the tibia, or the lower leg, uh, and his torso. He's still growing. He's 15 or 16 years old. And he's still growing. And he's going to be a monster when he's taller, when he's fully grown. But right now, squatting is not the best way to load those quads and the glutes and the hamstrings. So I do primarily split squats with him because he can get into that position and do that safely and do that effectively. But I won't have him do it. Plus, his back is not all that strong. So putting a barbell on his back while he's doing that. Again, so I will have goblet squats or the split squats. Those kind of things are going to be way better for him now because of the way his body is. Even though I love the squat. Even though I wish everyone would squat more. Right? That's not appropriate for him. So it's a case-by-case basis. And so you have to know when to make that decision. And to, again, say all exercises are off limits or these, you should never do these. Pick these instead. That's, that's not a, I mean, there are some exercises that you should probably just never do, like standing on a physio ball and back squatting. I think we can all agree that's one we should never do again. But to say you should never back squat and you should only do unilateral work because athletes only work in unilateral positions. They jump and they move and they cut off of one leg. That is true. And you should definitely do a lot of unilateral work. And you should definitely do a lot of plyometric stuff unilaterally side to side. You should do all the stuff they're saying. But that's not to say that you shouldn't ever do squats. And it can be very beneficial for you if taught properly, which is why people like me and Chelsea have a job. We're the ones that you come seek out to say, look, I want to get stronger. I want to be a better athlete. We're going to get you that way. 
And again, the coaches that are going to then argue that, well, you should only go to this depth versus dip the, this this depth. Again, it's highly dependent on what the athlete is after. If we're talking just general trainees, you should probably do a little bit of everything. We can always make a case for quarter squats or, or squatting to 90 degrees versus ass to grass. There are applications for all of them. But that's not to say that just because there's an application for uh, stopping at 90 degrees means anything below that is worthless or dangerous. Because it's not. But it may not benefit everybody. Right? So that's the thing. Stay away from these absolute statements. There's always... Uh, it's everyone's individual. That's that nine... Going back to those nine principles, there's always a reason for something. All right. So rather than keep talking in circles, I'm going to end this one here. I hope this helps. I hope you guys like this one. Um, and again, I meant this is not to slam some of those those coaches, but to say they're they're trying to sell their product, right? They're trying to sell themselves, so they're going to be as somewhat have good solid logic on some things mixed in with some fluff to make it look like holy cow, this is crazy and revolutionary to get attention. But you always have to look: is it too good to be true? Is it well, what about these other things? If they if they say you should never do these things, eh, you should look at the reasons why. And so, if they say, well, anyone that says you you should be doing squats, you should be doing these things, they just they're just unwilling to look at new research, and they're unwilling to look at the new thing. There, you know, studies have shown this. Well, again, we all know studies. Studies can show whatever you want them to show. I could find you studies all over the place. That's not hard. So it's it's about experience and it's about understanding what that person needs and when it's appropriate to do a back squat versus not doing a back squat or a mixture of everything, which is probably the best approach. Anyhow, have a great one. I've got another good podcast coming up. Very soon there's going to be two released back-to-back here. Uh, stay tuned.